this is crazy season. I mean, I talked to several of you this morning. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be stuck at home when you're sick, but to be stuck at home when you're not sick is really nasty business. And we were out, you know, two weeks ago on vacation. We went to five states, two airports, two Indian reservations, and Sin City in Las Vegas, Nevada, and was fine. I was fine. Came home and had breakfast with Eric Gilpin at the Cloverleaf and had to quarantine for 10 days. I mean, this is a crazy season we're living in, but this is a glorious season we're celebrating today. Amen? I mean, this is what it's all about today, Sunday morning, and, and I'm, I'm glad to get this. This is a Super Bowl Sunday for preachers. It just is, and I, I hate it that I miss Palm Sunday, but I am so thankful that I get to be a party of the greatest day in human history. And, and I hate to admit this to you, but it's the truth. This is a tough sermon to preach. It really is. You, you think that something this glorious and this magnificent and this life-changing would be an easy do from the pulpit, but it is not. And, and the reason it isn't, first of all, is because it's so glorious and so huge and so much went on 2,000 years ago, it's hard to dig in one place and talk about it. But I'll tell you, the biggest reason this is so tough to preach every year is it's like, like Christmas. We have heard it so many times, it's lost the wow factor. And I don't understand that. I really don't. We saw the Grand Canyon for the fourth time in my life uh, when we were out there two weeks ago. And some of you have been out there. When I, when I walked up over the parking lot and looked up over the south rim, I lost my breath again. I think I'd lose my breath every time I saw that. That's just the Grand Canyon. Family, we should lose our breath every Easter Sunday morning. We should lose our breath every time we read the text we're going to read this morning. But a lot of stuff went on in it, political things, power-grabbing things, money-grabbing things. Uh, and, and it's exciting every year to preach all of this stuff that went on. But it's also very intimidating. But it's the most important thing we do. This day and what we're talking about today is the only thing that makes any difference at all. And you know why? Sure you do. Because the death rate in this country is still 100%. We're all going to die. And that makes us so important. Uh, George Burns died at 100 years age. He was one of my favorite uh, comedians. He, he's the guy that said he made it so long uh, in his marriage because him and his wife went out to eat twice a week their entire married life. He went Tuesdays, she went Thursdays. But anyway, he, he joked all the way up to the day he died, 100 years old. That same year, I went to opening day for baseball. And back then, the Cincinnati Reds, who was the first team in Major League Baseball, they always started the season. I don't know why they quit doing that. But that particular day, uh, John McSherry, the home plate umpire, uh, collapsed seven pitches into the game, opening day, in front of 63,000 people. He was going to go see the doctor on Tuesday. He's having some heart issues. He, he went to work doing his job, got to feeling bad, called timeout, started for the dugout, and collapsed, never regained consciousness. He wasn't 100 years old. He was 51. I did a funeral for a 40-year-old last year, died in a tragic accident. Now, I don't want to bum you out for Easter Sunday, but my point is very simple. Uh, we're not all going to die at a tragic accident. We're not all going to die at work, and we're not all going to die at 100 years of age, but we're all going to die. And that's what makes this so important because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and anybody who believes in me will live even though they die. And I'm counting on that. I'm counting on that. That's why I preach. So we're going to talk about Easter this morning. I want to talk about the cross with you this morning, which is not my favorite subject, but we're going to talk about it a little bit. But whether you're a believer or not, if you're here today because somebody drug you because it's Easter and you're not quite a believer, you have to at least admit something happened 2,000 years ago. Something happened to change history. 
Something happened that caused a, a ragtag group of Christians to change the world. I read this one time. If you were a Martian looking down on this planet uh, 2,000 years ago, and you saw this little group of Christians and, and the entire huge Roman Empire, who would you put your money on? Would you have bet on this little group of Christians who were claiming that some obscure carpenter was raised from the dead? Or would you put your money down on this huge Roman Empire? Yeah, I'd have bet on the Roman Empire myself. And yet something happened. They changed the world. Something happened 2,000 years later. We name our kids names like Peter, Paul, and Mary. And we name our dogs Caesar, Nero, and Augustus. My dog's name is Gus, Gus. Something happened to change the course of history. And we all know that Jesus changed the course of eternity. And we want to talk about the cross because that's what started this whole thing. Now, whether you're here today, if you're here today and you're a believer, I pray that as you look at the cross with me again today, that you'll see the power and the love behind it. Be reminded of that. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, I hope you're reminded of the power and the love behind the cross and that you'll see it in a, day, in a way today that you say, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe I missed that. I, I want some of that. I'm going to talk to Jimmy Kane before I leave today. I hope that happens. Our text is Matthew chapter uh, 27, and it's beginning with verse 32. You can pull a blue Bible out from in front of you and follow along. By the way, keep that if you need it. That's what it's there for. Or you can pull up your phone. I trust you. You're not playing a game. You're reading your Bible. And we'll walk through this together as we talk about the cross together. One guy was coming out of church, and uh, he, he looked at his wife, and he said, I thought there was only one resurrection. And she said, there was. And he said, I don't think that's true. That sermon's been resurrected at least two different times. Now, listen, I know I've been here 33 years, and I know I've resurrected a few sermons, and I know you guys know that, but I'm telling you, it feels that way every year at Easter and Christmas. It feels like another resurrected sermon. So I've already been on my knees this morning with the worship team and over in the building by myself and begged the Holy Spirit to make this fresh for me and to make it fresh for you. Because this isn't my favorite thing to talk about. I, I'd a whole lot rather talk about early in the morning on the first day of the week. But there wouldn't be any Easter without the cross. So we're going to talk about it a little bit. And first of all, I want to look at the meaning of the cross. Verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Let me tell you something about the Romans. Back in Jesus' day, they knew how to kill people. I'm not kidding you. They knew how to do it cheap. They could uh, burn you at the stake, or they could stone you. They did that a lot. They knew how to do it quick. They just run you through with the sword or cut your head off. They did that a lot too. And they knew how to do it privately. Socrates was forced to drink poison. And then there was just a small group of family and friends of private ceremony to watch him die. So the point is they knew how to do it cheap, and they knew how to do it uh, quick, and they knew how to do it privately, and, and then they had the cross. The cross was a whole different deal cross was a big deal. It took at least four soldiers and one centurion to do the cross business because, you know, sometimes it took hours, sometimes it took days, so you had to pay for overtime, and you had to pay for the cross itself, and then you had crowd control and all that business going on. And, and so the question always been, why even do the cross? Why not just run th somebody through with the sword, cut their head off, and go on home, be done with it? Well, the Romans used the cross for two reasons. Number one, they used the cross when they wanted the criminal not to just suffer, but suffer in a way that nobody could understand. And secondly, they used the cross for unbelievable public humiliation. You remember what they do. They, they take the guy and 
they'd make him carry the cross, and they'd take him right down the middle of the business district, and there'd be a big parade behind him with soldiers and people yelling and spitting and screaming and holding signs and such. You've probably seen pictures of Jesus hanging on the cross, and he's got a loincloth. That's really nice of us. But there's a real good possibility, probability, that he was completely naked because it was all about humiliation and pain. And the idea was, you get to the crucifixion site, by the time you got there, you've developed this crowd, this mob, and they've yelled and chanted and all this business, and, and all the way till the guy dies. And the hope in that would people would see that much pain and that much humiliation, and it would be a deterrent. They would say, I don't know what they did, but I sure don't want to do anything to get myself caught up on the cross. And so the meaning of the cross, the purpose of the cross back then was it was a billboard on the side of the road. They did it on the side of the road that read simply, don't mess with Rome. That's why the cross is painful. So secondly, let's talk about the pain of the cross. Verse 33, they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drinks, drink mixed with gall. After tasting it, though, he refused to drink it. That was a kind of a mixture of a narcotic that kind of dulled the pain a little bit, the best they had back then. But Jesus, wanting to have the full effect of what he was doing for us, refused to drink it. It was an amazing deal. Now, I know I've said this to you before, but I'm just going to say it again. This crucifixion was the most horrendous form of execution that mankind has ever come up with. In fact, it was so bad, you couldn't crucify a Roman citizen. No way. Only foreigners and slaves could be crucified. If you're a Roman citizen, it didn't matter what you did or who you killed to do it. They could not crucify you. It was too horrific of a thing to do. And, and I, without getting real graphic, I don't think it would hurt us too much to be reminded of a little bit of the pain that Jesus went through. We do that from time to time. Remember one year, I asked you to take your thumb and place it in the palm of your hand and push? Remember that? And I asked you to push till it hurts? That, that's the spike of a cross. It wasn't meant for comfort. It was meant to hold. And we can't possibly imagine the pain that Jesus went through. But I think we talk about it every now and then. It helps because then when we get to this table when we're done and we actually say this do in remembrance of me, maybe just maybe, we'll think a little clearer about what really took place there. Here's what they do. They take the guy and they beat him first. And they beat Jesus severely. Most of you by now have seen the movie Passion of Christ. That was a pretty accurate depiction of how they beat Jesus severely. And then... And the idea was they'd take this whip with uh, had little pieces of bone and metal at the end of it. And the idea was when it hit the bat, it back, it would split the back of the flesh open. And, and listen, you had to get a guy that knew what he was doing. Because if the guy doing the whipping got carried away, the guy could bleed out before he ever got to the hill. And you'd miss the whole crucifixion. That happened quite a few times. And those people would get in trouble. After the whipping, they'd put the cross beam on the back, the back that just got whipped. And they would force the person to carry it out to the crucifixion with the parade we just talked about. And and Jesus whip, uh, the guy that whipped him must have got a little carried away because Jesus was not able to carry the cross. They had to get help. When they got to the crucifixion site, then they did the spike business. And they'd lay the cross down. They'd lay the guy on top, right hand first, then left hand. And they'd drive the spikes through the hands into into the, the board. And then they would cross the feet right on top, left on the bottom, and they would either nail through the feet or tie the feet. Most of the time they did both because the next step sometimes pulled out whatever they got done because then they'd pick the cross up and drop it with a thud in the ground and sometimes something would pull out and they'd have to do it all over again. And then they just watched. And they just waited. And 
the person needs to take a breath, they'd have to push up with their feet to get their lungs in position, which is excruciating. And then when it was time to exhale, they'd let off their feet, and all the pain would go to their hands. And it would cycle over and over and over again. And the Romans were so good at this, they would give just enough flex in the arms and the legs for this to go on for hours, sometimes days. It's ugly stuff. And the whole time Jesus was hanging on the cross going through this, do you know what he was saying? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you take communion this morning, maybe run that around a little bit. It's interesting to me, the Bible doesn't talk too much about the pain involved here, the physical pain. You have to read Josh McDowell's book or go to the commentaries. In fact, Mark's gospel simply says this, and they crucified him. That's all it says about the crucifixion, and they crucified him. Why is that? Because we've said this before, too. I don't think it was the pain that Jesus was wanting to get away with. In the garden, when he's sweating, as it were, drops of blood, the Bible says, asking God to remove the cup. It wasn't the cup of pain and death that he wanted removed. It was something worse. There was humiliation involved, too. Verse 35 to 46, you read this. People were mocking him, spitting on him, making fun of him. Stripped him naked for hours. We don't like when people taunt us. We don't like people trash-talking us at a basketball game or a golf match, let alone something like this, you know what I mean? We went to Disney years ago camping like we do. And, uh, you know, Ma always goes with us because she always pays half of it, sometimes a lot more than that. But anyway, my mom used to go too and uh, until she got too frail. And my mom, <laughs> this particular day, she was riding her bike into the campground. Now, my mom has never been able to ride a bike. But she came into the campground, and it was like, she just, boom. I mean, she didn't hit a rock. or t- Just boom. She just falls over face first. Now, it went in the grass, and so she was okay. And when we were sure she was okay, we're all laughing. Of course, Angie laughs and then makes sure she's okay. But I told my mom, you're done with the bike. You're not riding a bike anymore. And Ma says, you can't tell your mother she can't ride a bike. And I said, I can. And she will. And I said, I'll tell you something else. If you wreck, you're not riding a bike either. And she said, oh, we're trashing each other. Well, about two hours later, she ran into a post and cut her knee. So now I'm trashing her. And I said, you know, you're not going to ride a bike either. Back and forth, we went a little bit. You know, we were so upset. I didn't talk to her for two days. And then my lower lip started to swelling, went down just enough, and I could start making out words. We don't like people trash talking us. Verse 42. They hurled their insults at him. Oh, you saved others? You healed others? You raised others? Can't even heal yourself. Come down from the cross if you can, king. And the most humiliating part of that is he could have. He could have laid waste to that entire hillside. He told Peter in Matthew 26, verse 53, Don't you realize that I could call on my father and he would at once send 12 legions of angels. That's 36,000 angels. One angel in 2 Kings chapter 9 uh, slew 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Can you imagine what 36,000 angels could have done? But he didn't call them. He hung there and put up with that for hours. But it wasn't that either. It wasn't the pain. It wasn't the humiliation. I think verse 45 and 46 explains it. It, it was us. It was our sin. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the whole land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's interesting, in the Greek, the word for cry means the roar of a lion. 
So that means Jesus wasn't dying on the cross and, and just whispered, Oh, God, why have you forsaken me? No, in the middle of the darkness. Remember, darkness for three hours. Nobody got, what in the world's going on? In the middle of the darkness, right when everything was quiet. My God! My God, why have you forsaken me? I'm telling you, if you and I would have been there, the hair on the back of our neck, our skin would have crawled because that's what Jesus was in pain over. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. We're at the cross. And for the first time in eternity, Jesus was separated from his Father. For the first time in his existence, Jesus knew sin. And I don't just mean a lie or watching the show you shouldn't have watched last night. I'm talking about every vile murder, every vile child molester, drug addiction, prostitution, Every nasty form of sin you can think about was hyped on him at the cross. And I'm just wondering, can we listen to that year after year after year and not be moved by it? It's amazing what he did for us. Sermon's going to get a little lighter, and we're going to finish it up here in just a minute. But one more thing I want to ask, kind of on the dark side. I would like for you to think about the darkest thing you've ever done in your life. Just close your eyes and think about that for a minute the nastiest thing you ever did. And, and by the way, when you open your eyes, don't look up here like, what are you talking about? Because we all have them. We've all done things in our life, maybe even doing them right now, that we would be humiliated if people found out. Maybe you broke a marriage vow. Nobody knows. They will one day. Maybe you lied to somebody. Maybe you stole something. Maybe you broke up a marriage, broke up a friendship. Maybe it's a pattern of sins going on right now. Maybe it's something you do when nobody else is looking. Your whole life's been trying to keep it a secret. Here's my point. All of us have something, and somebody has to pay for that. Somebody has to pay for that, or you and I are going to hell. Death, eternal death. Somebody says, how more can anybody die forever? Well, death simply means separation from God. And if we have any sin at all, we cannot be with God for eternity. That is eternal death. Somebody has to pay for it. Jesus did. At the cross. This is powerful, unbelievable stuff. For the first time ever, Jesus went to the ugliest place in eternity. He went to hell, and he went to hell for us, so he wouldn't have to go to heaven without us. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. The cross was painful physically, unbelievably. The humiliation factor you and I can't possibly imagine. But the real pain he went through was the pain of our sin. And Jesus paid it all. All to MIO. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's the meaning of the cross. That's the pain of the cross. We're going to finish up real quickly with the power of the cross. This is sweet news right here. Verse 51, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, tombs broke open, bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holiest city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified, and they exclaimed, surely this must have been the Son of God. I mean, the supernatural stuff that took place at the cross. Have you read about it lately? Go back and look at it. 
all kinds of stuff. Rock splitting. We got earthquakes. We got darkness for three hours in the middle of the day. Tombs opening up. Dead people walking all over the place. The curtain of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And listen to me carefully. This is recorded history. This is why I preach. You put the Bible up. Put your Sunday school lessons up. And go back and look at recorded history from people who weren't even believers who wrote this down. This is fact. That's one of the reasons why the first century the church exploded. Because people were there and they said, man, surely this must have been the Son of God. Awesome power at the cross. But it wasn't just physical power. It was also the power of forgiveness. The Bible says you and I have been forgiven because of the cross. Our past, present, future sins. It says once for all sins. That's a perfect tense verb. The sins you committed yesterday, the sins you committed today, the sins you're going to commit tomorrow have already been taken care of at the cross of Jesus Christ. I call that pretty powerful. Jim Symbolist says it like this. That's why John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A holy man can't punish twice for the same sin. So if Jesus Christ paid the price for all our wanderings and all our violations and all our rebellion, we'll never have to pay for it again. That's pretty powerful stuff. And the power of the cross means you and I can walk out of here today with a clean conscience. Our guilt hung on the cross with Jesus too. The Bible says there is therefore how much condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? None. You and I walk out of here today with a clean conscience, clean before the Heavenly Father because of the work of the cross. That's powerful stuff. Number two, the veil in the temple was ripped in half. You remember what the veil was. The veil was that it's two feet thick. It was a curtain that hung between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple. The Holy of Holies is where uh, the Ark of the Covenant was with, this, with the rod, Aaron's rod with the bud on it and a jar of manna, I think, and some Ten Commandment pieces. But the more important thing is that's where God's presence was, and nobody could be in God's presence because, again, God's perfect. Nobody can be in God's presence. So nobody could ever go in the Holy of Holies, only the priest, once a year to offer up forgiveness. And they would tie a rope around the priest, and he had bells on his, on his, on his uh, clothes so that when he walked in, if he made a mistake and God had to kill him, they, they would know. They would pull him out. The Holy of Holies, nobody went there until the cross. And the Holy of Holies was split right down the middle and opened wide open. And God's now saying, because of what my son did, the Holy of Holies is now available to anybody. You can come to me for any reason at any time. My presence is everywhere because of what my son did. That's why you and I should never take prayer for granted. That's why we should never take this time that we have at the end of the service to spend with the Holy Spirit for granted. This costs way too much for our availability of God. We don't even have that kind of availability with each other. This same trip I was talking about when we went to Disney, the Miller, uh, the Miller babies were with us. The Petersons hadn't started having kids yet. So it was just Acton, Ashley, or what's your name? Annabelle. Too many A's in my family. And Acton. But anyway, uh, you know what they wanted to see? The characters. They wanted to touch Mickey. They wanted to touch Minnie. They wanted to touch Peter Pan and, you know, uh, all of them. They wanted to touch all of them. And, and when we'd see a character, they'd just start jumping up and down. They couldn't wait to touch him. And we did the best we could. They, they saw Mickey and Cinderella and a few others. But there were so many people, we couldn't get access to everything. We got to the back of the park, and they had this young uh, stud college kid dressed up like Aladdin, and Ashley started jumping up and down. And we tried to get her over there too, you know what I mean? But we couldn't get access because there's so many people. Do you understand what God's saying? Because of what my son did at the cross, I don't care if 200 million people try to come to me, you can still come to. Full access, anytime. Before breakfast, on your way to work, 
before you go to bed, right now, anytime you want to. Anybody in here uh, need a little wisdom? What job to take? What house to buy? What college to go to? Whether to take the vaccine or not, that kind of stuff? Come and see me, God says. Because of what Jesus did. Come and talk about it. Anybody feel discouraged, broke, devastated, lonely? Anytime you want to, God says, come to me because of what my son did from the cross. The cross also has the power, not just reconciliation between us and God, but between us and each other. Because of the power of the cross, gentlemen, you can now love your wives the way you're supposed to. Because of the cross, wives, you can love us the way you're supposed to. Because of the cross, we can love our kids and our grandkids the way we're supposed to. Because of the power of the cross that's been unleashed in our lives, we can become evangelistic people, hospitable people, generous people, kind people. It's amazing what the cross has done for us. It all started with the broken body and the shed blood. It means a little different when you think about it, doesn't it? There are some things I will never hear in my lifetime, I'm sure. I will never hear Marie Osmond, who is the new spokesman for... Um, Publishers Clearinghouse. I'm never going to hear her say, congratulations, Jimmy Kane, you've just won Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes. $5,000 a week till you die. Enjoy your retirement. I'm never going to hear that because I never sent it in. You know what I mean? I'm never going to hear the Cincinnati Reds call me up and say, hey, would you come down and commentate a game with us and we'll get Marty Brenneman back in here and you guys can have a ball. I'm never going to hear it. I'm never going to hear my mother-in-law say, you're right, son, I was wrong. <laughs> I'm never going to hear that. You know what I mean? I'm never going <laughs> to hear the IRS say, Mr. Kane, we're not at all concerned about accuracy. We just want to make sure you get your money. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm not going to hear, and I'm not sure whether that bothers me too much or not. But when I start thinking about what this really means and nothing else matters, and what today is, there's one phrase I will never hear. When I'm standing before the God of the universe on Judgment Day, I'm not going to hear him say to me, you're a despicable out of my sight even though that's true I'm never going to hear it because of the power of the cross of Jesus Christ what I'm going to hear instead is come on in here you've been pardoned come and see what the master has in store for you come up here today and spend some time thanking him for that if you have not made your decision man, don't wait any longer come up here and talk to me